Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I'm Adam C. McKinnon, your host. This week's episode is actually two interviews that I had the pleasure of doing. The first features Will Gagan, author of Summer Baseball Nation, and the second with Dale Tafoya on his book, Billy Ball. Both of these books are spotlighted in our book review series on romanticaboutbaseball.com if you'd like to read them. Jim and I should be back with our normally scheduled show next week. Thank you for your support, and please take a moment to review and subscribe wherever you're listening to us today. Enjoy. Well, th- hey, thanks for that, uh, that slam dunk that you threw down on me there a month or so ago. I mean, does anybody, like, look at a sunset, like, on a beautiful day? What is that cat doing? Uh, Jim is doing that swooshy thing again. I already gave him a little bit of shit. Am I allowed to say shit? I gave him a little bit of shit. And welcome to a very special edition of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. I am your host, Adam McKinnon, and joining me today is Will Gagan. Uh, He is the author of uh, Summer Baseball Nation, uh, and chronicles his journey through several of the summer woodbat leagues across the country. It is available now. Uh, Will, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Adam. Absolutely. You do some other work too. You're a sports writer out in Rhode Island. Uh, you also founded the blog Right Field Fog. Um, can you uh, can you tell me a little bit about uh, about your some of your other work? Yeah. So I uh, I grew up in Kentucky originally, and my, my parents are both from Boston. So I, I sort of migrated to New England, uh, the reverse journey of, yeah. of, of what they did, uh, and ended up at a, a couple of different newspapers here. Uh, right now I'm at the, the South County Independent newspaper covering a lot of high school sports and, and University of Rhode Island athletics. Um, so that that's uh, the, the URI stuff is, is fun, especially with the, some of the basketball success they've had recently. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the Cape League blog I started called Rayfield Fog uh, a while ago now, 12, 13 years ago, um, just to kind of keep tabs on the Cape League. The Cape League is something I, I grew up going to games. That's sort of where my fascination with summer ball, um, started. So, uh, yeah, just, just been chronicling the league and a lot of daily recaps and stuff like that, um, over the years. So, uh, planning to keep that going. Obviously it was a quiet summer on that front this year with the Cape league getting canceled. Um, but you know, hoping to be back, uh, full steam in 2021. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you kind of hinted at it earlier, but I do want to know, so you, you grow up in Kentucky, um, and you, you know, you moved to new England, um, you know, is that how, where does baseball start for you? Does it start in Kentucky? Does it start in, in Boston? You know, how, where does that begin for you? Yeah, a little, little bit of both. Um, so my, my family, uh, we, we vacation in Cape Cod, um, every summer from the time I was just like six months old. Uh, and so the Cape league was, was always a part of those vacations. My dad was a big baseball fan. So we, we went to a lot of games and, as a kid, it was, you know, the, the kids, kids stuff, right. you know, part of the right. game that you enjoy. I just used to play in pickle and the playground right by the field and stuff like that. But I sort of grew to really, really like the, the baseball too. And loving the fact that you could watch a major league game and say, Oh, we saw that guy uh, in the Cape league. Um, so that, that part was really cool. And then, 
you know, I played Little League growing up in, in Louisville and, and went to a lot of Louisville Redbirds games, minor league team there. So it was always sort of uh, like baseball, not not at the highest levels. That, that wasn't right. really what, what you know, I, I became a Cubs fan because of WGN, you're watching games after school and stuff like that. But it was it was really just this the sort of local local level baseball of minor league and, and summer league when we went up there that kind of uh, kind of hooked me in. Now, so you, you, you grow up and that's really interesting. You know, um, you hear a lot of perspectives of people that maybe don't leave, live in major league cities. They don't grow up with major league baseball. You know, you go from, you know, an area of the country that really does embody that, you know what I mean? Uh, and then move into Boston, which is like the epicenter of, you know, poetic, tragic, written to death about Major League Baseball, and yet you still resist the urge. So- yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, to to my gra- dad's uh, uh, great regret, <laughs> he was <laughs> growing up in Boston. He was a, a lifelong Red Sox diehard, uh, and I was a, I was always a sympathizer, but I just I, I never you know I never really saw it. MLB TV didn't exist back in those days, right? Uh, they, they, get the occasional ESPN Sunday night game. Uh, so it never took hold. And I don't know, for me, with like some some deep sports uh, roots, fan roots, like the, the Cubs started early for me. And then uh, University of Louisville basketball, you know, I went to my first game when I was like four or five years old. So it was hard to uh, pick new allegiances. And, and I found, too, with, you know, with some of the newspaper work and, uh, you know, stuff like that, it just – I enjoy sports that, that aren't necessarily the, the, the pro sports and I'll, I'll watch, you know, MLB games all the time, but still, still enjoy sort of the, I don't know, the grassroots, I guess. Yeah. On the ground level. And, and, yeah. you know, that's really what, you know, it, obviously that plays into the inspiration behind, you know, summer, uh, summer baseball nation. So, you know, you, you, you grow up uh, with the Cape league. Tell me how, Tell me how the idea. I see the genesis. I can see it, you know, playing out. But where does where does where does the first step in this journey begin for uh, summer baseball nation? Where is step one? Where does chapter one start? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, you know, for me personally, with with the idea, it was just you know that the, the Cape League was. Uh, you know, there's been a lot, a lot written about it, and, and there's been some some documentaries, mm-hmm. all really good stuff, and. I wanted to do something similar, but at the same time, you know, in, in sort of, you know, becoming part of the, the summer baseball blogosphere a little bit and, and seeing Twitter and stuff, you see that there's, there's this other part of the summer ball world that's growing and there's, and there's teams in the Northwoods league that had drawn a million people and, and, uh, and, and over the course of the, you know, not, not over the course of the summer, but the Northwoods league is, is, is reaching that milestone as, as a league. And there's, you know, teams in California and there's Alaska and it just seemed like there was, there was an opportunity there to, um, you know, to find, uh, sort of the, the thread of, of what, what summer ball is all across the country. Uh, and so the Cape was, was, was always going to be the beginning and that's where the, where the book starts, but, uh, sort of wanted to look at the whole picture too and the whole landscape. Okay. And so, you know, one of the thing that this book really hones in on are specific people and places. You know, I, I'd like to ask you first about the people. You know, can can you tell me? There's tons of, 
you know, profiles and stories, players, managers, front office people all kind of, you know, play a role in, in this book. Can you tell me about like maybe one or two of the many people that you profiled that still kind of sticks with you today, or maybe you still keep in touch with, or maybe just, just if you take away one character from all of this, who do you, who do you want the reader to take away? Yeah, it's really good question um you know so like you said there's a lot of a lot of just individual stories and, and people who sort of make summer ball go um, one of the people who really really sticks with me um was bill pinter the manager of the santa barbara foresters out in california uh, so he's been doing it a long time and, and they are a hugely successful team they're in the california collegiate league uh, and they kind of dominate that league every year, and uh, and then they go to the NBC World Series, National Baseball Congress World Series in Wichita, which is for um, kind of summer league teams, a few semi-pro teams. You'll see mostly uh, west of the Mississippi, uh, and they they go there and they win almost every year. They had a they actually had a tournament this year uh, in the sort of pandemic shortened summer, and the Foresters won again. So <laughs> so so that's what they do, but you know the. Just meeting Bill, you can sort of understand how they how they do it. You know, he he gets a lot of talented guys. He's a he's a baseball scout. There's tons of connections. You know, like Augie Garrido was like a, a tech, legendary Texas coach, was like a very good friend of his. Like just just a true baseball guy. So he's getting plenty of talent, but he also just has these philosophies that really work for summer ball and and I think for for baseball in general. So they they kind of take the reins off. They're stealing bases. They're super aggressive. They uh, they actually track some of this stuff. They have like the science behind behind how they do this. Uh, so it's just a really a fun brand of baseball. And he's just just this perfect baseball guy. Like he he was like straight out of Central Casting. Uh, right. So uh, you know he it was really fun to to watch them. Uh, uh, and they're probably my my favorite summer ball team. Uh, I'll like you know late nights on the. Friday night or something, my exciting life. I'll, I'll <laughs> listen to Santa Barbara Foresters broadcast over over the the internet. So uh, yeah, Bill Bill Pinter and the Foresters, they're a really cool organization. He kind of reminded me, you know, when I was reading reading it, and you talked about like the all the squeezes and the stolen bases and the sort of the tally marks that they would have throughout the game. You know, and it it almost reminded me of like if Billy Martin had was like in the modern analytic world and, you know, didn't have it was a little more, you know, easygoing. Um, you know, it just reminded me of that ultra aggressive, really interesting style of play. And yeah. And one thing that I thought was also really interesting for reading it, again, I came into it with absolutely zero knowledge of of the summer leagues or where they were or what why these why they were so important. And then I'm seeing names pop up like you know um, my fa- my sa- second favorite second baseman because I'm an Ozzy Albie's loyalist. Uh, Keston Hera makes several appearances in the book, and I'm just like, oh, I I had no idea. And then and then you're running down these names. If you're reading this book during the regular season, there's a good chance that you're going to come across a name that you watched or heard of like the night before, because now we're in 2020. And that's what I thought was really cool is these names come from the 2016 season. So some of these names that you're reading about are coming to fruition in the major leagues now. Like that's got to give you a little bit of a, of a, of a, ja- of a jump sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's pretty cool. I mean, that's, one of the really cool things about summer ball is you're seeing these guys on 
these local municipal fields uh, and you're, you know, maybe you're getting their autograph after the game, you know, you, you might know their host family, like these guys are super accessible. And then, yeah, you know, three or four years later, um, you're seeing them in the major leagues, uh, and, you know, especially with, with the Cape League. I mean, lots of, you know, you watch a Cape League game, there's going to be two or three, maybe four or five guys from that game that are in the major leagues in a few years. And that part of it has always appealed to me. It's just, it's just something cool. And it's something unique to baseball too. Um, you know, you don't, you college basketball, like, you know, you're not seeing Zion Williamson playing like at a, at a high school gym in the summer. Right. Uh, you're not, you know, college football, Joe Burrow's not, not playing some, some random, <laughs> random town in Ohio or something. It's, uh, so, so it's kind of unique and, and, you know, base college baseball is not quite as popular. So these guys aren't that, they don't have that level of stardom, Right. but in sport, like Spencer Torkelson, the number one pick in the MLB draft, you know, he played in the Cape league for, for two summers. So it's, yeah, it's, that's pretty cool for in baseball and, and pretty unique to summer ball. It, w- it was neat too. Cause I'm telling you, sometimes it's just, you know, the passing reference of like, you know, uh, Joey Bart. Like, you know, oh, Joey Bart, I think in the book, he like, he like scores on a double and it's just like, it's just Joey Bart. Like, I mean, he's just like, a, a, he gets a two sentence cameo in, in the <laughs> Cape League, you know, section. And, and so I really found it, you know, that was one thing that I, that I did really enjoy one aspect about the book and, um, you know, the other one. So there's the people and then there's the places. And this is what, probably what I thought was was what really took me in particular about the book. I'm a I'm a I'm a Tolkien reader. I love anybody that can chew scenery. And so this was like, you know, specifically, um, you know, one thing I really enjoyed about it was the way you set up these great scenes in, in these vastly different places. And one particular that I was really taken with was the Midnight Sun game, the out in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska. Can you can you kind of tell me about like in that moment? how it felt to be there, you know, watching this play out in Alaska. I mean, playing baseball at midnight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's obviously one of a kind and it was, it's really cool just to be there. Um, Cause you don't, you don't exactly know what it's going to be like, you know, it's like, I, I don't, I, I had never been to Alaska. You hear about, um, you know, what it's, what it's like. And I remember I, I took, a cab ride from the airport to the hotel and the guy was like oh yeah it's it's crazy you're, you're you won't even be tired it's it's midnight you won't even be tired because the sun's so bright uh and it, that is kind of true like i was i had you know a pretty long journey from rhode island to fairbanks um but i i was not tired for that game and it, it, it's just really really special you know it's you're like looking at, I, I, I don't wear a watch but i'm like looking at my phone and it, it's getting close to midnight and the, the sun is bright and the sun is setting at midnight it's just it, it kind of messes with your your mind a little bit but at the same time you're like man this is this is really cool this is this is something i'm not gonna forget i think it's just that kind of a scene it, it really does and, and and what i appreciated was the way you kind of painted the picture of it like you know it, it to me when you're when you're reading the book and you're and you're reading about these interesting places there are places that i would never like i had never heard of the midnight sun game this uh, you you talk at one point about the home run derby into the uh, into the bay or into the lake, you know what I mean, off the dock. Like it gives you a, a special sort of insight into how what these teams have to do, not just you know, and and how invested the towns are. 
You know, it's almost like to me, and, and I think I, I said this in the review, like the town hall is almost another character in the book. You know, can you talk a little bit about the role that these towns play? Yeah, I mean, I think they're they're integral to to the teams and, and to these leagues. Um, you know, it's all the, the teams really make an effort to be a part of the community. Um, you know, it's it's marketing for them and, you know, it helps them. But it's also just just kind of part of the mission. You know, a lot of times the, the owners and the GMs and the coaches, they, they live in the community. They might, maybe the coaches are like high school coaches who, who do this in the summer. So they're, they're truly part of the community, even more so than, than, than like a minor league team. Uh, and the, the other part of that is, is the host family situation, which, you know, I, I wish I had been able to do a little more of that in the book. Um, but it, it, it's, that, that's something that, you know, pretty much every league uses that model where these guys are, are staying with host families and they're, you know, staying in spare rooms and, and down in the basement. And, you know, maybe these families have, have kids who play baseball and the, these guys are making friends with them and they're playing catch in the backyard. Like you, you don't get that, that, you know, anywhere else. Um, and, and it creates a sort of, true, true sort of community atmosphere. And then, you know, it's the other part of that is this, there's this is kind of, you know, thing that's, that, that happens all over the country. You have the you have summer leagues everywhere and, and you know, small towns and, you know, small fields. And then you have some, some bigger former minor league cities and minor league ballparks. So it really sort of runs the gamut. And, and yeah, it, you know, it definitely seemed like those, those places were, were important to the story. Yeah, it, it does. It, it sort of gives you this. It, I don't. It, it. What I appreciated about it that it, it wasn't folksy. Like it wasn't like you were, you know, painting this you know picture of the farm on the hill and all this other stuff. Like it really did. It really was a sort of sincere portrayal of the towns. Uh, so you know, I really appreciated that. And um, so I wanted to know. You know, you you cast a very wide net with this book. You you cover a lot of ground, quite literally. There you go. <laughs> yeah. um, so you get to, you get a chance to go back and do it over again. What's one thing you wish you covered more? Hmm, that's a that's a good question. Um, so the host families are, are definitely part of it. Um, wish I had spent some time and, and sort of really really hit on that relationship a little bit more uh between between players and host families and you know sort of like uh, you know the, the alumni too like there, there are host families especially you know maybe in the cape league where they're going to Fenway park to see a guy that they hosted and they're they're taking pictures with them and you know he's, he's giving hugs like it's it, it's a truly truly special relationship so i i wish i had done more of that and then to, to make it two things um, you know, one, one piece, and I, I sort of got this from talking to a, a, a guy uh, who I know in Rhode Island, who's a former college baseball player, and he had played some summer ball, and uh, he was reading the book, and we were talking a little bit about it. And he said one thing that, that he remembers is sort of these, a lot of these guys who are kind of wrestling with the fact that their careers may be almost over. You know, you, you look at the book kind of looks at the guys who are sort of on the way up. You know, the Cape League sort of frames that as, these guys are all going to get drafted or they're all signing pre-agent contracts. And that's a hope for, for everybody who's, who's playing college baseball. You know, they all want to have that opportunity, but the, you know, a majority of, of guys, when you're looking at the full college baseball picture are, are maybe not going to get that opportunity. Um, so it, it, it's sort of uh, something that I think, I think 
would have been interesting to, to look at is sort of these guys, you know, in these, these sort of strange, like summer experiences, like in these random towns they'd never been before. And, and is this sort of the end for them? Right. Well, and uh, so one, one, you know, question, you know, I guess I'll, I'll just finish with, so what, what do you think is next? Is there, there's, uh, there's so what I took, another thing I took away from this is that there's so much more, there's so many more stories to tell about this type of baseball. You know, you talk about the summer leagues, it, it sort of leads you into like the independent leagues and the low and the unaffiliated leagues across the country. Um, you know, what, what's next on, is there, is there more that you want to go into on this? Could there be another project in the future and on this vein for you? Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll kind of see, see what happens. Obviously this summer was, was weird for a lot of leagues. True. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The way it went, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, to do more. And so my Twitter account at summer nine nation, uh, kind of gets at that where, you know, I'm talking about the book a, a bit, but also talking just a lot about summer ball and, and sharing funny things that teams are doing and standout performances and things like that. And just trying to provide a way for, for people to understand what, what summer ball is and sort of connect them to the game a little bit. Cause you know, like you said, you're a big baseball fan. You didn't, didn't know much about it. Um, so I think, you know, that's, that's something I like to do is sort of um, you know, provide a way for people to, to learn about it and you know, see if they like it too, um, the way a lot of people do. So, you know, down, down the line, we'll keep doing that with, with Twitter and, uh, and, you know, might look at going to some, some new places and, you know, writing about them in, in, a, in a different venue, maybe online or something like that. And just sort of, uh, sort of taking on some, some extra, extra innings, I guess, extra, extra innings. Extra, extra innings. That's right. Extra innings. So, uh, yeah, something something like that, I think would be pretty cool. Awesome. Well, well, uh, Will Gagan, I I can't thank you enough for joining me. I I really did enjoy the book. You can see the review for it on romanticaboutbaseball.com. You can find, uh, Will and, uh, I'm going to ask you to recite the Twitter handle so I don't miss say it or misspell it. (laughs) Where can you find, where can they find you? It's at summer nine nation. All right. Will, thank you so much for joining me, and I appreciate your time. Yes, thanks for having me, Adam. And welcome to another special edition of the Romantic About Baseball podcast. My name is Adam McKinnon, and joining me is uh, Dale Tafoya. He's an author whose previous work includes Bash Brothers, A Legacy Subpoenaed, and but his latest book, uh, Billy Ball, was released this year during the COVID-19 pandemic and was a book I was very fortunate to get to review on romanticaboutbaseball.com. Uh, Dale, thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure, Adam. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, you know, it was I was uh, very, uh, very, uh, you know, fortunate to get a chance to read uh, the book and uh, get to know that era of A's baseball. And uh, but I want to kind of get to start, get to know uh, you a little bit and how all of this began. So, where does baseball enter your life? Yeah, when I was a teenager growing up in the, in the Bay Area, the East Bay specifically, uh, in a city called San Leandro about five minutes from the Oakland Coliseum where the Oakland A's played. 
and just fell in love with baseball as a teenager in the uh, in the 1980s and, and I followed it and and started writing probably 25 years ago, 20 years ago, um, blogs. It's kind of where you get your, your, your start. Uh-huh. And it got to all the uh, got to the point where I wanted to start writing books. So I started putting book proposals together, and and some were accepted, some were not. And fortunately, I, I have two books under my belt. This last one, uh, Billy Ball, uh, uh, Roman Littlefield Publishers acquired it. Uh, about a year and a half ago and they usually give you a year to finish it so uh yeah so just writing books and uh i have a passion for baseball and it's been a fun journey okay cool well uh one thing that uh you know i tell me how you came to the whole billy ball proposal tell me tell me how all that started well you know uh this billy ball uh era in oakland a's history has been around for 40 years it started in 1980 when billy martin first got there and it was always a fun era uh billy martin was the face of the franchise you had this uh trailblazing billy ball campaign back in between 1980 and 1982 when billy came and i wasn't really i mean i remember billy martin when he was managing the a's but i didn't go out to write a book about billy martin i saw this Story in the archives. I do a lot of a lot of research, and when you really place a magnifying glass to history and really get down in there in the bowels of history, there are a lot of great stories and books in there. Right. So I just began reviewing and just found this story uh, in 1979. The A's drew less than 307,000 for a season attendance in Oakland. They lost 108 games, and by 1982. Billy Martin's final year managing the A's, the A's had broke the season attendance record all time. That's in, that includes the Philadelphia A's and the Kansas City A's. And this is like three years later. So I wanted to really delve into this Oakland baseball renaissance. So I put this proposal together and it was fortunate to get a book deal pretty quickly. Uh, it, was, it was exciting that other ed- editors were excited about this story. And like I said, there's so many great stories uh, in the bowels of history. You just got to go find them. Right. And and with a game that has so much, like you said, you know, so much, it's like you almost have to, and, and a character like Billy Martin, you almost have to sort out like, you know, fact from fiction, you know, and, and the myth, you know, from everything else. Right. And this is the story. Billy Ball is a story, Adam. Uh, it's about Billy Martin, who was a West Berkeley boy. Boy, he was born here in the Bay Area. It was a story about him coming home in 1980 and rescuing this very sick, unstable A's franchise. And Billy was a part of Oakland A's, Oakland baseball renaissance in 1948 when he played for Casey Stingle and started for the Oakland Oaks. And, and when he played for the Oakland Oaks, that sparked civic pride in the community post the Depression and World War II. And, and he led the Oaks to their first Pacific League title since 1927. Uh, that year in 1948. And of course, he graduated from, from Berkeley High. So this is a story. Billy Martin, Adam, Adam resurrected a lot of baseball teams. But this story was special because he because he was coming home and saving that uh, uh, American League franchise there, the A's. He was always an American League guy. And he knew Charlie Finley was going to move the A's from Kansas City to Oakland. So he always eyed that managerial job uh, in Oakland. Yeah. And, and it, you really do feel 
feel that connection. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit later, but you know, one of the things that, um, Billy, you know, the book is about Billy, it centers around Billy, but you know, one of the things that I found when I was reading is that you could almost argue that Billy is almost a co-lead in the book because, you know, uh, I think one could argue that, uh, Charles Finley plays such an integral role in, in the book and how everything came about, uh, can you kind of explain how he fits into this era of the A's? The and then you know how it was such a great team, and then uh, basement dwelling embarrassment. You know, and, and can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, first of all, Charlie Finley brought the the A's to Oakland in 1968, and, and Charlie Finley, after bringing three straight World Series titles to Oakland. Uh, in 1972 to 74, in five straight division titles to open that 70s decade, he couldn't survive the economics of free agency. Uh, the, the players' union was getting strong under Marvin Miller, and the A's were, were, were really decaying badly in Oakland, Adam. Uh, his players from free agency, they started jumping ship to join teams offering more money and better contracts. And really, in the late 1970s, the Oakland A's were a baseball crisis, and, and major league executives and owners were trying to figure out what to do with this franchise. Uh, Finley, in 1977, announced the sale to the sale of the A's to Denver oil tycoon Marvin Davis, but he couldn't move the A's to Denver because he signed a 20-year lease uh, with Coliseum officials in 1967 when he agreed to move the A's to Kansas City. Uh, the A's had six office staff in the late 70s. In 1978, the A's radio flagship station was a 10-watt college radio station. Uh, there was absolutely no interest. And local fans in, in Oakland were checked out because Finley was always talking about moving the A's out of Oakland. Right. So, like I, I mentioned, in 1979, the A's lost 108 games and drew less than 307,000 fans. They were the wart of baseball. America League clubs were complaining because they never made budget traveling to Oakland. Uh, one, of the, one of the A's pitchers, Matt Keogh, uh, was 2-17 in 1979. So uh, the A's were just in really in bad shape. Uh, the turnaround came uh, when Billy Martin got there, clearly, as the book articulates. Right. And, and, you know, it's, it's fascinating to watch the, the dynamic between them. You know, this was uh, just like so many, you know, relationships in Billy Martin's baseball life. It wasn't, uh, it was complicated. And so, uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of, you really do. One thing I enjoyed about the book is you really do play that up. You do sort of kind of untangle the web a little bit you know, um, with all of those sorts of relationships. So, um, I just found it fascinating. I had no idea how much of a role, cause you know, Finley is essentially, you know, gone by, you know, the, you know, halfway through the book and, uh, if that long and then, uh, but he's still like his footprints remains. And, uh, so it, I was really taken by that. Um, absolutely. And, and I want to, I want to make it clear that, that Charlie Finley did was the architect of this A's dynasty in the early, early seventies. And in 1976, Charlie Finley was the owner who drafted Ricky Henderson, one of the greatest players of all time uh, in 1976. So Finley had a, a, a nose for talent. He was a great evaluator of talent, but like I mentioned, his business model could not survive free agency. 
and he kind of towards the end he just threw up his threw up his hands and wanted to unload the ace. Right, and and you and you do get that sense, you know, you you feel the the change almost like as the as a reader, you feel the change when uh, you know the new ownership comes in. And, uh, you, you, the sort of more human element to it, you know, somebody that wants to be there type of thing. So you do, you do definitely feel that change. And, and, uh, then of course the arrival of Billy. And, uh, so, you know, this, it wasn't an easy path for him to get, uh, to the A's, you know, despite it being his hometown team. And there was, there was, you know, near misses along the way too. So, uh, can you, can you talk without giving too much away? Can you, can you talk a little bit about, you know, that sort of, you know, uh, I guess you could say a, uh, weaving path to the A's for Billy. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned in 1948, uh, Billy Martin led the Oakland Oaks to a Pacific coast league title. And he, of course he played with the twins and was, uh, was there during the Yankee. I mean, with the Yankees and he was there during the Yankee management magic in the 1950s and by the late 60s billy martin kind of hung out with the minnesota twins he was a coach but he wanted to be a manager and even when he was a coach with the twins uh in the in the late 60s he, he settled in minnesota for a while he was eyeing that managerial job in oakland he knew charlie finley was going to be uh, moving the A's to, to Oakland. In fact, there were rumors that Billy Martin was going to be the first manager of the Oakland A's when they first got there in 1968. Finley flirted with bringing Billy Martin there, but Billy instead chose uh, Bob Kennedy. And also when Dick, uh, when John McNamara was managing the A's in the early 70s, Finley again was talking about bringing Billy Martin over, but, but that never materialized. So you have some hit and misses, Finally, uh, after when during Billy's stint in the late 70s, Billy, of course, brought a World Series title to the Yankees in 77. In 1979, during the offseason, he got into a, an altercation with a marshmallow salesman in October of 1979 uh, in Minnesota. And that was some post some public relation issues for George Steinbrenner. So Steinbrenner fired him that October. So Billy Martin was employed for a few months and this was the perfect opportunity. The A's being in, in their dilapidated states, it was a perfect opportunity for Finley to finally hire Billy Martin. And Charlie Finley hired Billy Martin, Adam, a day before spring training started on February 21st, 1980. Billy, uh, he was hoping to generate some kind of interest to unload the team. And he hired he hired Billy. He announced the hire at a press conference at the Drake Hotel in Chicago. It wasn't in Oakland. <laughs> the press conference was in Chicago because the A's were in this limbo and Finley hadn't renewed his California business license. Yeah, it was so he, it he, was so, so kooky. It was so kooky. Like I was reading I remember reading that and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like this is this is this is insane, <laughs> you know. But but you know, you you dig more into Finley and you realize, well, it's yeah, I guess it's not that weird. Um, so you know, one one thing that um, I think this book does a great job of is telling Billy's story without being too kind of over the top or, or over romanticizing it. You know, I, I kind of feel like the, any a lot of the players uh, players that were are tied to those uh, Yankees teams of the 50s in particular, it's it's just kind of like people are, you know, they tend to kind of wax poetic on it for, for 
you know, however long, you know what I mean, without really cutting through to the story. And I think this book does a really good job of that. What do you what do you hope that, you know, the reader takes away about Billy that they may not have known before, like they may not have heard or known if all they knew about him was what else was out there? Right. Well, Billy, I always compare Billy Martin to this this uh, crusader who would come to a city and Billy just knew how to come to a city and he connected with the working class fans so much. These working class fans love Billy Martin and Billy Martin knew how to put butts in the seats. He was an attraction and he could just come in and rock a city bring baseball fever to a city and, and he would go to the next city. Billy Martin did, didn't have a lot of shelf life everywhere he went because he tended to, to clash with management. Billy, he wanted some control of the team. And I think it frustrated him when he was responsible to field a winning team, but he also wanted to have some say into the makeup of the team and signing people, signing players and trading for players. So I think with, with, with Billy Martin, he was also uh, he, uh, under Casey Stingle. He studied psychology. Billy Martin read a lot of psychology books and magazines, and he was he really studied leadership and generals. And that mm-hmm. part sort of kind of played in his role as a manager, not only with the A's, but when he managed his his first managerial de- debut with the Twins, the Tigers, and when he totally resurrects Texas baseball in 1974 with his turnaround gang. So Billy Martin just knew how to shake a city and it materialized in Oakland when, when he could have been just a mayor of Oakland with so much the excitement he, he, he drew there. And I mean, by August that year, Adam, he gets hired in February of 1980 by August of 1980, Oakland and Finley. I mean, they, they host a Billy Martin appreciation day. In Oakland, because uh, because of what he did for the city and for that ace franchise. Yeah, it's it's really you know you just uh, and that's one thing that I think uh, I took away from it. You know, I came into it with no knowledge really very of um, of Billy's work as a manager, uh, other than you know what you see on you know Ken Burns documentaries or you know bylines on ESPN. You know, and one thing that I really the Texas and Minnesota his time in Texas and Minnesota. I feel like are are really kind of underreported his ability to kind of like lift up, like you said, just kind of pull a city up by the bootstraps and turn a team around. I found uh, particularly fascinating. Um, and, it's, and that's not that easy to do to no. suddenly come in and just, uh, and Billy would inherit these awful teams. I mean, right. lo- losing a hundred games and he would, inherit, and he would just turn them around. It and, didn't last long. But he was a perfect manager to go in there and light a fire and and turn that club around, and he always did. Well, and and he, and he did it. What I another thing I took away from it was this style of managing and play that he used. That ultra aggressive base running squeezes, you know, working starting pitchers to the bone. Literally, sometimes it just. Um, you, it's such a high risk way to do things. It's you know I think nowadays if I see if you see a manager kind of breaking the mold, you know what I mean. It, it's like you know if it doesn't work, then it, it that guy's packing his bags, you know. So I it, to to not only do that but to do it with such an aggressive style of play, uh, I really uh, found that to be really fascinating because the risk involved in that. Um, I feel like, uh, I feel like only, you know, sort of 
furthered the, you know, sort of played up like, wow, like that's really impressive, you know? Um, so yeah, I really, right. en- I really enjoyed that. I mean, reading the play by play was actually like, you know, re- towards the end of the book, you know, uh, was, was probably, uh, was, was really exciting actually. <laughs> yeah. Billy Martin always wanted, his goal was to put pressure on the opposing manager and he would drive these, he would play so many head games with opposing managers like Earl Weaver, Sparky Anderson, Jim Fregosi. Right. Uh, he'd make them guess and, I remember in 1980, he did some triple steal where Dwayne Murphy stole home and Jeff Newman kind of was uh, intentionally fell in the middle of first and second, got caught in the rundown. And, and the pit, Detroit's pitcher, Jack Morris, was so frustrated and so rattled after this, this Billy Martin havoc that, 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 he, that he caused in that anyway. He, after the inning, he just fired the ball to center field. Lance Parrish, the catcher, came into the visit. The visitors dug it out the Coliseum and took a bat and just smashed a water fountain. I mean, he just created <laughs> so, so many headaches for opposing players and, and, and managers. Yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. And and uh, so, you know, it kind of made me think, you know, you, you look at what he did in Oakland and, and you look at, you know, what Billy was able to do everywhere he went. It kind of made me wonder let's say the stars don't align and Billy Martin doesn't end up in Oakland, you know, all the chance encounters and everything that kind of culminated in his arrival. What do you, if he doesn't get there, what happens to the Oakland A's? That's a great question because I don't know of any other manager that could have pulled that resurrection off, Adam. I mean, when Billy came to manage the A's, he not only wanted to make uh, the club a contender, he wanted to keep that club in Oakland, his home area. So he understood what was at stake. He was aware Finley was moving the A's, uh, A's to Oakland in the, in the uh, late 60s. And like Steve McCaddy told me, an A's former pitcher, Billy was the epitome of what the swinging A's had been in the early 70s. He mm. was aggressive and he was a fighter and he wanted to lead the A's rise again. And Adam, these young players who were playing for Billy uh, under Billy Ball, they were used to playing in front of fan, like 2,500 fans in the late 70s. And Billy came in that spring training in Scottsdale and he immediately injected confidence to them and made them believe they could win. Billy Martin hypnotized them. He brought discipline to the A's. Not that he was the most disciplined person himself, but he was a proven winner even though his shelf life wasn't very long in the city. I mean, some players loved Billy. Some hated him. He scared some players. Right. Uh, usually the, 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 the ones with the big egos, the narcissist players on a team clash with Billy. Because Billy wanted to be the show. Right. Yeah, it was. It, it, and he was really uh, kind of, you know, in that era of managers that were like sort of determined to kind of just be in the background and be the sort of tinkerer, or the puppet master, so to speak. You know, he was ready to be part of the show. And and I got to tell you, for again, for, you know, I'm not a West Coaster by by any means. I grew up in Philadelphia. I'm from Atlanta originally. Um, walking into that era of history, uh, not really sure what to expect. Uh, I really took away a lot, you know, and, um, you, you, you know, the way that you bring in the, the radio station, the way you bring in the local vendors and the impact on the city, it really does give you for, it's a good read for folks who aren't from there because it really does kind of, 
uh, you know, it really does kind of paint a picture uh, for someone who's has, I've never been to the Coliseum, probably won't by the time it comes down, you know, and and so uh, so I really appreciated that. Um, and thank you. And that, that was my goal. I wanted to create that Oakland feel to just bring as many props of Oakland for readers to see. Right. So it, 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 you need, yeah, I wanted to do that. You did a great job with it. And, uh, and, uh, look, I can't, I can't thank you. I, um, you know, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, if you, uh, if you get it, I encourage, uh, listeners, you know, if you're, it, this was a very, very, it was a fun read and, uh, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with me today. Oh, no problem. My pleasure, Adam. Thank you so much, Dale. 